This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We turn in God's Word this morning to Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is a psalm of David. David, as a human writer, does pray to God in his affliction. Some of the verses must apply to David, especially a verse like verse 5, O God, Thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from Thee. But many of the verses are prophetic, as I mentioned, regarding Jesus Christ and His suffering as the Son of David. Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restore that which I took not away. O God, Thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from Thee. Let not them that wait on Thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek Thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is unto Thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of Thy mercy, hear me in the truth of Thy salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Hear me, O Lord, for Thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of Thy tender mercies, and hide not Thy face from Thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of mine enemies. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before Thee. Reproach hath broken my heart. And I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. 
let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten, and they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded. Add iniquity unto their iniquity, and let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song, and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. Let the heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moveth therein. For God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and have it in possession. The seed also of his servants shall inherit it, and they that love his name shall dwell therein. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. Turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 15. Lord's Day 15, the Catechism is explaining the content of our faith, which we confess when we say in the Apostles' Creed, He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. Lord, say 15, what dost thou understand by the words he suffered? That he all the time that he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind, that so by his passion, as the only propitiatory sacrifice, he might redeem our soul, body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the favor of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? That he, being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge, might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. Is there anything more in his being crucified than if he had died some other death? Yes, there is. For thereby I am assured that he took on him the curse which lay upon me. For the death of the cross was accursed of God. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, are you suffering? Do you suffer today? What are you suffering? Are you suffering the consequences of your own sins? Are you suffering the consequences of the fall, sins, which Adam has committed, and because of those sins you suffer 
the curses and the consequences of this fallen earth. You suffer the hurt of others against you, their gross sins against God's people. There's suffering. There's cancer. There are heart problems. There is much suffering in the church of Jesus Christ today. And that suffering will increase as these last days are upon us. Life is full of suffering. But as we come to God's house this morning, though we may think upon our suffering, and though God sympathizes with us in Jesus Christ as we suffer, the focus, the focus may not be upon our own suffering, but the focus must be upon the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. For beloved, the best thing for us, God knows, even as we suffer in this day, is for you, in the midst of your suffering, to think upon someone else's suffering, and not even just someone else's in the church, though that may help, but Jesus Christ's suffering. I do not say that to minimize suffering of the children of God. God's saints suffer many grievous afflictions, some more than others. I do not say this to tell you that you ought not seek help for your suffering. You should. And God's people must sympathize with you, should sympathize with you, and help you and the elders of the church and the deacons and the minister seek to care for you as you share your sufferings with us. But first, you must be directed to Christ's sufferings. It is helpful. It is good for us to think outside of ourselves upon Him. What you will realize, for one, is you focus not upon your own sufferings, but on Christ's, is that your sufferings are not to the same degree, not even close, to the sufferings that He endured. And that realization is good. Another realization, more importantly, is that the sufferings that He took were in your place for you so that the greater part of the suffering you deserve has been taken from you and you have been saved. You've been rescued from that greater part of suffering, that which you cannot bear. And finally, we will realize in pondering Christ's suffering, the sufferings we bear are God's sovereign work in our lives. And though grievous, are for our good. And that perspective of faith, God uses to help us press on and find comfort in the midst of suffering. 
Today, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 15, brings us to think upon Christ's suffering. It is explaining, as the Apostles' Creed speaks of, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified. Let us refresh our memories upon His suffering and seek by the grace of the Spirit to focus on that, focus on that suffering through this sermon. He will use it for your good in the midst of your suffering. The suffering of Christ first, the lifelong suffering, second, the end of life suffering, and then finally, salvation from suffering. What we need to understand about Christ's suffering and that which the Catechism points out explicitly is that Christ suffered all his life long. His suffering was through his life and increasing in intensity all the way until it climaxed at the cross. And so we cannot start at the cross, though we will get to the cross as we always must. But we must begin, as the Catechism does, pondering upon the lifelong suffering that Christ endured. For more than 30 years, through his life long, Jesus suffered. The Catechism begins that way. It says, what dost thou understand by the words he suffered? That he all the time that he lived on this earth, sustained in his body and soul the wrath of God. Isaiah 53 puts it this way, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. Jesus Christ had to grow up in this dry ground. He had to grow up in suffering. It wasn't just at the end of his life. In Isaiah 53, we find this as well. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows, not because he had a week of sorrow or a day of sorrow at the end of his life, but he was a man full of sorrows, thoroughly acquainted with all of grief throughout his life. Yes, his life began as we saw last week when he was conceived in the womb of the virgin. Even in that undeveloped state in the womb of the virgin Mary, as soon as his life began, he suffered. He suffered through the nine months within the womb of Mary. He suffered after his birth, during his first year, his toddler years, his teenage years, all of which Scripture doesn't speak much of, but we must know he suffered through all that time, and then the three years of his public ministry, and then at the end, during Passion Week, or the week of suffering, and the cross on Good Friday. How did he suffer? You might ask and ought to ask, all his life long, and before I answer that question, we must understand that we're not going to come to a full comprehension of Jesus' suffering. Remember, it was of the infinite wrath of God. It's too much for our limited, finite human minds to understand. It was so much. But we must understand that the suffering of Jesus Christ is something that no movie can display. 
We will be distracted by the main part of Christ's suffering if we were to watch a movie of such a suffering of Jesus Christ. The suffering included physical suffering, but it was especially the suffering of His soul. And we can understand a little bit of that. Suffering of our souls. Suffering of depression. Something you don't understand until you face it yourself and it's unexplainable and you don't know what to do. The suffering of sadness, great grief. So that you do not feel like living anymore. The suffering so great internally when someone dies that was once connected to you. It's soul suffering even when the body itself is not facing affliction. Many would much rather have bodily suffering rather than such suffering of the mind, of the psyche, of the emotions, and of the spirit. So remember that this is a spiritual suffering especially which Jesus Christ endured. And what was most agonizing about the spiritual suffering, the soul suffering of Jesus Christ, was that God's wrath or anger He felt within His soul. And remember, not just at the cross, but His life long. In His consciousness every day, He could feel this. And God was punishing Him for sin. Well, Jesus was innocent, but God made His soul feel the suffering of, a, of the most the most wicked criminal. And it was a suffering that God as, as a father brought upon His Son so that Jesus felt His own Father judging Him as the worst of totally depraved sinners all His life. And you know that. You know that intellectually, but now think upon how the psalmist describes it. The psalmist in Psalm 69 that we read gave us a figure, an illustration to help us to help us understand that we have come to a limit. This intense soul suffering of Jesus all his life long. In verses 1 and 2, David begins writing as a type of Jesus Christ. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. And David repeats this concept, this illustration in verses 14 and 15. Deliver me out of the mire. Let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Now you get a picture in your mind. Think, think of Jonah. Our, our, our minds often go there when we think of someone sinking to the depths of the sea. Children, after Jonah was thrown overboard of that ship, as he was fleeing to Tarshish and Jonah, Jonah sank deeper and deeper and deeper into the depths of the sea. He went all the way to the bottom. He had the seaweed wrapped around his body and around his head, all the way to the bottom. And as you know, children, you sink deeper and deeper into the depths of the sea. You can feel the pressure, the pressure of that water pressing upon your body and threaten to press in upon your, 
nose and your mouth and your ears and into your very soul. That's the picture here. Now David describes something even worse. It's not just that he's sinking into deep water as Jonah felt, but he's sinking, he says, in mire. You know what mire is? Mire is quicksand. So you can think of sinking, yes, into an ocean, into a sea that is full of quicksand. He sinks deeper and deeper into this pit, this never-ending pit of mire, suffocating mud and sand. That was the experience of Christ's soul. When? All his life long. It was an intensifying suffering as he sank deeper and deeper and deeper into this mire of God's wrath which pressed in upon him. That was Christ's experience. And that is what he was feeling. That was, that was what he was experiencing as he faced all the other afflictions of life that we have a record of in Scripture. Think upon how his very conception in the womb of the Mary itself was suffering. It was humiliation. God the Son took upon Himself our weak human body it was a condescension of such a degree we cannot understand. God was made a man, a speck of dust in the lowest parts of the earth. Simply to take on our human flesh itself was suffering. And then, and then He was born, not as a prince, but as a slave in poverty, in a cattle stall, in the midst of a stinking manger, the feeding container for donkeys. And soon after he was born, there was the immediate need to flee for his life as Herod sought to kill him all his life. As he endured poverty, he was a poor carpenter's son living in the despised village of Nazareth. He faced such suffering. He had growing pains. He had sicknesses. He had weaknesses. He had cuts, children, like you have cuts when you fall down. He had fatigue, he had hunger, he had thirst. But remember, all that, any pain, any hardship and suffering, any humiliation through his childhood years and teenage years, any bullying that he felt was not merely what you face sometimes, but it was God's way of pressing him down in that mire. It's what he felt in his soul. It was God saying, I, I am rejecting you. I'm against you. All through his life. And that brings us to the rejection of men. Psalm 69 especially emphasizes that word reproach six times. The rejection, the, the mockery, the hatred of men. Reproach, reproach, reproach. Six times through the psalm, and you can read it to find those words, that, that same word again and again later on. 
But verse 8 says, I am, speaks of a certain reproach, I am become a stranger unto my brothers, my brethren, an alien unto my mother's children. And we know that Jesus' own brothers rejected Him as He grew up in His family. They rejected Him as the Messiah. They hated Him. It was only after His resurrection that His brothers were converted. In John 1 verse 11, we hear, He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. When He went to Nazareth, He knew the prophet was not going to be received in His own country. They would despise Him, and they did. They sought to take Him to the cliff and throw Him off. Of His own people, of His own relatives, He was hated. Of His disciples, remember. Yes, for a while they were with Him, but then they forsook Him. They denied Him, and one betrayed Him. He was rejected of men. Not just His family and His friends, but of the world. Verse 12, They that sit in the gate speak against Me. And I was the song of the drunkards. What verse 12 is doing there is explaining that those of the highest rank all the way down to those of the lowest rank rejected Him. Those that sit in the gate are the elders, the leaders of the people. The church leaders of Jesus' day. Imagine that. The church leaders of Jesus' day that were supposed to be pointing the people to Jesus rejected Jesus. And all the way down to the drunkards, the foolish. They scorned Him. All through His life, He sustained in His body the wrath of God. For the rejection of men, remember, was God's way causing Jesus' soul to experience the rejection of His own Father. And finally, think about His anticipation of the cross. Anticipation of the cross. Very early on, children, even as a child, Jesus was conscious of the fact that He was not on this earth to do work and business like every other human being. Remember what he told his parents early on. I must be about my father's business. And his father's business included instructing him, talking to the, the, the leaders in the temple even. But his father's business was especially that he, that he suffer. And so in obedience to his father, he, he did not try to escape. He did not, as it were, try to that swim and, and, and grapple out of that mire and the, and, the, and the depths that he was sinking in. But he allowed himself to endure and to sink deeper and deeper through his life. Satan tried to get him to stop that suffering. Turn, turn, the, turn the stones into bread. Stop the suffering of your hunger. Satan tried to get him to stop, stop that suffering. Display your strength by jumping off the temple pinnacle. did all he could to try to get Jesus to stop that suffering because it was for the salvation of His people. But Jesus 
endured it willingly, anticipating the worst to come. Children, you know what anticipation is. Imagine that. Imagine that all of life you suffer, and you know, yes, this is bad, this is bad, this is painful, this hurts, but that's not the worst of it. More, more is coming. Greater depths, more pressure. Is especially at the bottom of this pit that I'm sinking toward. That was the anticipation of Jesus all His life. And, and we get the record of how much Jesus was suffering as He anticipated the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember, the night before He was captured. So agonizing was it that He uttered those words, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou will. And while he was anticipating it, remember his disciples, instead of supporting him, were, were, were sleeping. All alone he anticipated the cross. So much pressure was this suffering upon his soul that his sweat as he anticipated it, was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Luke twenty-two forty-four. His life long. Two applications before we continue. First, oh beloved, understand Christ's suffering. as much as you can understand it, that you might hate your sin even more, all the more. Today, more hate your sin. Do you see your suffering or His suffering? Not yours, but His suffering. That's what your sin costs. That's the reason that the Son of God had to endure it all His life long. And that should make us sorry for our sins. It should make us want to give up on the, those sins. If this is the consequence for sin, a lifelong suffering in the depths of mire of God's wrath, I don't want to commit that sin. And the next time, the next time you want to shrug it off, you want to make sin a trifle in your mind so that you don't have to repent of it. So you don't have to take it seriously. The next time you want to dishonor your parents, children. The next time you want to tell just a little lie. The next time you want to make just one lustful glance. Remember the lifelong agony that Jesus had to endure for that sin. And flee it. Repent of it. 
Look upon Him, Zechariah says in Zechariah 12, whom you have pierced with your sin and mourn for your sin, for it is against Jesus. See His trembling soul and body in the garden, plagued by the wrath of God because of your sin. See the trouble, the heaviness under which He collapsed and the blood poured forth from His pores. See Him sink downward into the miry clay of God's suffocating wrath and hate your sin. And second, be amazed by the love of Jesus Christ. The greatness, the intensity of His suffering proves the greatness and intensity of His love. For remember, He was not forced to go down into the depths His whole life long. He didn't have to come even. But voluntarily, He took every bit of suffering on your behalf in your place out of love for each one of you, His people. Be amazed once again by His lifelong suffering and let, let not our suffering which may be grievous today let it not distract us from His greater suffering because it displays His great love for us. He didn't just die for you. He didn't just die for you. He did. But it wasn't only that He died for you. He lived for you an entire life of suffering for you as a propitiation, the catechism says, as a sacrifice for the covering of your sins. And then, yes, out of the same great love that He had through His life long, He pressed on toward the end of His life or pressed downward until he reached the dregs, the dregs of God's wrath at the bottom of this pit of mire. Especially at the end of his life, the catechism says, sustain in body and soul the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind. And the suffering at the end of his life, the catechism describes, and we confess in the Apostles' Creed, as suffering which took place under Pontius Pilate. The Catechism expounds on that. He suffered under Pontius Pilate in particular. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor. Don't forget this now, the Roman governor, that God, God is the one who has authority, all authority, had set in place for the time of Jesus in particular. Pontius Pilate was God's 
authority, though a wicked authority, God's authority in government when Jesus suffered. He was in charge of the Jews. They were answerable to Him. And so in order for the Jews, Jesus' own people, to legally put Jesus to death, especially with the death of the cross, they had to go through this legal route under Pontius Pilate. Thus, having captured Jesus with the help of Judas Iscariot, the Jews brought Jesus to Pilate's judgment hall to get his approval for, his, for Jesus' death. And as you know, multiple times. Multiple times, Pilate would come out of his examination of Jesus and he would tell the people, a final fault in him, not even a single one. Pilate knew his innocence. His wife received a dream from God to, to reveal to him and to beg him not to condemn this man because he was innocent. And yet, Pilate, Pilate had Jesus whipped, flogged to the bone. That's what flogging was to please the Jews. He had a crown of thorns pressed into his head. Thorns, not prickles. Large thorns that may have been actual metal thorns that pierced him to his skull. He let the soldiers put a purple robe upon him, mock him, all to please the Jews. And finally, he delivered Jesus to be condemned and crucified to please the people so that he might maintain his position as governor. And he may have washed his hands publicly, but no water could wash away the guilt that he had for bringing such agony, such suffering upon the Son of God. But though Pilate, along with the Jews and Gentiles, were bringing the suffering upon Christ, we know. As I began with, God, who had set Pilate as governor over the land, He was governing all things to bring this suffering upon Jesus Himself. To judge Jesus under Pilate. The psalmist points to that in Psalm 69, verse 26. They persecute Him whom Thou hast smitten. They talk to the grief of those whom Thou hast wounded. God was very really smiting His own Son, wounding Him for our transgressions under Pontius Pilate. Psalm 69, verse 26 is a fulfillment, is, was fulfilled in the history of Jesus' life, but Acts 4 
expresses that fulfillment. Acts 4, 27 and 28, For of a truth, a tr- for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of God, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. That, you see, was why Jesus suffered so much. He knew God, His Father, was judging Him. This suffering under Pontius Pilate was significant or important for three reasons briefly. First, it was a public display of man's depravity. A public display of man's depravity. Not just Jews, but Gentiles. Not just those higher up, Pontius Pilate, the chief rulers, church leaders of the day, but all the people of the church of that day and the Gentiles of the world, all gathered together against Christ. That is a public display of the depravity of mankind, and you and I of ourselves are included. Among that depraved throng who would have persecuted and mocked the Christ if we had been there. Isn't that what every sin is that we commit today? Every sin is an opposition, it's in a direct attack against Christ. No. No one is good. No, not one. Romans 3.12 There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's what this suffering under Pontius Pilate displays. But for some, whose depravity would attack Jesus and still does, this Christ has such mercy that He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And His very suffering under Pontius Pilate and from this wicked, depraved world was exactly for the salvation of His elect. No, not for the salvation of everyone. Jesus, even at the cross, did not pray, Father, forgive them, meaning every one of them. The proof of that is in Psalm 69, 27. There is reprobation too. Psalm 69, 27, and the verses surrounding it shows the imprecatory nature of this psalm not only, but the prayer of Jesus in His heart against those whom the Father had not given Him. In verse 27 we find, add iniquity unto their iniquity. And let them not come into thy righteousness. The righteousness 
that I'm gaining for my people, let it not be imputed unto them, Jesus prays. Psalm 69 shows it. And that is what we deserve as well, along with the rest of the reprobate world. That's what the cross displays. That's what his suffering shows under Pontius Pilate. But he loved us unconditionally and yet gave himself for us. Though we were as depraved as all the reprobate who would persecute him. Secondly, this suffering under Pontius Pilate was not only a public display of the depravity, but secondly, it was God's way of revealing His judgment, a legal judgment against Jesus Christ for our sin. And the Catechism says that He being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. Pilate didn't make his judgment as any other man. Everyone else yelled, crucify him. Everyone else judged him, condemned him as guilty of treason or guilty for all the other crimes that they made up. But they didn't stand in place as a legal judge. Pilate did. That's why we confess he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And as a legal judge in that capacity, in that office, in that position, God was speaking through that authority to judge Jesus with the same judgment that Pilate declared. God was bringing down his gavel and declaring Jesus guilty and worthy of all suffering, even the death of the cross. Though innocent of himself, as Pilate unofficially said again and again, officially in that capacity as judge, he said guilty and worthy of all suffering down to the depths of destruction in that mire of God's wrath. God spoke that through Pontius Pilate because He imputed the sins of all of us His people unto Jesus that He might impute all of the perfect righteousness of Jesus unto us. Suffering under Pontius Pilate was God's way of revealing His judgment of Jesus Christ for our sakes. And finally, His suffering under Pontius Pilate was His way to bring Jesus to the cross. To the cross. The accursed death where nails were driven into His veins and tendons of His hands and feet. 
where the weight of His body pulled upon those wounds, where He suffered, even though He was in the depths of the flood, we read in Psalm 69, yet the water did not quench His thirst. He was parched. Where He suffered great discomfort as He suffocated. He felt the suffocating The suffocating of the cross as he could not hold himself up to breathe. But it was not just physical pain. The cross was on Golgotha, a public place just outside the city where all would pass by. Meant to be a public spectacle for the shaming of this man. And when people walked by, they wagged their heads and they mocked and they spit on him, the king of the Jews. But worse, again, the rejection of men, the cursing of men, is all to show the cursing of God. For he that is hanged, Deuteronomy 21, 23, he that is hanged is cursed of God. The cross was a symbol of the curse which meant that God actually spoke a curse. We know that when God speaks a curse, it's much different than when we speak curses. What He says comes to pass. And when He cursed Jesus upon the cross, Jesus sank with His soul not to the location of hell, but to the depths of suffering of hell. Darkness came upon the land as a sign of the darkness within his soul. This was the apex of suffering. So that he cried, my God, my God, Why hast thou forsaken me? All this for your sin and mine. If this does not make you hate your sin more, nothing will. If this does not make you love your Jesus more, nothing can. He did it for you. To save you from suffering. No, not to save you from all suffering in this life as you experience today. You must still suffer. God does bring sufferings, even much suffering, 2 Corinthians 1.5, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. Paul suffered. David, the human writer of Psalm 69, he suffered many of these afflictions that he wrote about, though not all of it. But we suffer. Suffering can abound to such a degree that sometimes we suffer the abuse of men as Jesus did. And we suffer persecution as Jesus did and maybe even crucifixion one day as Jesus did. 
But the greatest part, never forget the greatest part of suffering He has taken. The wrath of God, the curse, the judgment, the punishment to pay us back for our sins, He has taken it and that fully. You may not say, as much as sometimes it may feel like it, you may not say as a child of God, this is hell, this is hell on earth, because it's not. The only person who endured hell on earth was Jesus Christ. The attacks of others is not the attack of God against you. The unwillingness of others to forgive is not God's unwillingness to forgive. The judgment of others against you is not God's judgment against you. The cancer that feels like punishment is not God's punishment of you. The curses of brothers against you is not the curse of God against you. The torture of future persecutors is not God's torture of hell against you. The death that comes upon you, yes, as your last enemy, is not the wages of sin against you. Your conscience that accuses you every night for your sin. That you have confessed. Is not God's accusation of you any longer. Jesus has taken all that. The curse. The judgment. He took on Him. Which laid upon me. The Catechism says, be assured of that. Meaning, believe that. And focus on that even in the midst of suffering. For Jesus' sake, He never curses His people. Always blesses. And so then why do we suffer? Even grievous suffering... It's His favor, though we may not always understand it. He's molding us, sanctifying us, sometimes chastising us in His love, but never pressing us downward into the depths of that mire of His wrath. To illustrate and to close, The figure of Psalm 69 shows Christ all His life long sinking, sinking, sinking under the pressure and the darkness more and more until the cross. The depths of God's wrath. But because of Jesus Christ, we are in shallow waters. Stand upon the water like Peter. And yes, the waves and the billows may roar, and sometimes even due to the weakness of our faith, we may sink a little. They may come over our heads, and storms beat against our soul. But we will not sink. We cannot sink into the mire of God's wrath. Christ has suffered it completely. 
And he always holds us up. Head above the water. See his suffering. And know that not only is all your suffering brought upon you in his favor and his love, but it's for you to bring you until that final day when all suffering will be no more. Knowing this comfort, beloved, even in the midst of suffering, you may confess with the psalmist, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving, even in the midst of suffering. Needy and sorrowful to Thee I cry, but Thou hast set my soul with thy salvation on high. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hope rwc at gmail.com. Thank you.